0: Are you interested in attending one of the field's largest gatherings of K through 12 education innovators? The Aurora Institute Symposium 2023 promises community lessons about education innovation from the field and the latest research and policy to support education transformation. We know that after attending, you will leave equipped to take immediate action in advancing next generation learning designs. This event will take place October 15th through the 17th, 2023 in Palm Springs, California. You can find out more at Aurora-Institute.org. Period.
1: New school development, particularly new schools developed in networks, are the most important development in American public education. American education in the in the last thirty years, and recently, many of these new schools have been developed. Um, are very small, uh, micro schools, schools that empower learners and families. Uh, today we're talking about micro schools and micro school networks with Kelly Smith, the uh, CEO of Prenda. I'm Tom Vanderuk. You're listening to the Getting Smart podcast. Uh, Kelly, welcome.
0: Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here.
1: Um, we love the Prenda model because um, uh, unlike many other uh, m- micro schools that have started in the last five or six years that just uh, relied on traditional content um, and traditional methods, you, you really developed an intentional model. Tell us about the, the sort of four learning modes and uh, what what school looks like at Brenda.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's important for people to kind of understand where this came from. I did not have the honor of kind of coming up through a traditional education background. So in some ways, that's been a disadvantage and I've had to read the research and learn everything. But in some ways, it's been an advantage because as an adult learner, since leaving grad school years ago, I found myself uh, basically following the same pattern to learning. Some form of setting a goal and making a decision of, of what I want. And then backing into, you know, what will it take for me to accomplish that goal? Um, So at at the largest level, that's what Prenda is about. It's trying to help young people become the type of learner that, you know, this is going to apply equally well in vector calculus as it is in changing the brakes on your car or, uh, you know, mastering a a sport or a musical instrument or building a strong relationship with a loved one. The idea is humans are built for learning and how can we then structure an environment in such a way that really brings that out. So that, that sounds very abstract. What we did in practice was we put together a model that's not gonna surprise any of your listeners because it, it has all of the pieces of kind of educational reform that many people have been talking about and writing about and researching for a long time. We have what we call conquer mode. Kids come and set big goals for the semester or for the year. The you know Our tools and software help them break those goals down into bite-sized pieces. The goals are all about mastery. So as opposed to I'm going to sit in this chair and think about fractions for a half hour, it is I'm going to master how to get fractions onto the same denominator and add them. Uh, And then we can measure that and and put that flow in place. So, you know, I'm sure you guys talk a lot about, I know you do, competency-based mastery that's embedded in the system. The other pieces, though, are very inquiry-led. We have a, we call collaborate mode. Kids take turns leading a Socratic discussion or debate or a math puzzle, or a science experiment. It's all hands-on, it's very constructivist, um, you know, trying to really help kids think through carefully and and get to it. Um, All of this leading to to kids becoming owners of their education. And then finally, Create Mode is project-based learning. We give them a library of prompts, they make some choices, they work together in small groups, uh, and they put that together. And then the fourth mode is is Connect Mode. We're really talking about helping kids uh, see each other as allies in their learning and being really proactive about what it means to be part of a community, what it means to deliberately focus on your mindset and your purpose and thinking through those those types of pieces. So what, what people would call social emotional learning, but we try to blend that throughout instead of modularize it.
1: I love those components, Kelly. Are um, they stitched together in a in a pretty common way Do most of your sites? Start with one and move to the other? Does create mode always happen in the afternoon? How, how does that work?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we started out on the assumption that people would be like me. I was I was the first learning guide. I started a micro school in my house in 2018. And like I said, I don't have a, a background running a class or, you know, I, I was making it up and I was doing it with the kids. Um, the first few micro schools probably did kind of follow what I did. What we've seen now is across hundreds, I think we've reached over a thousand micro schools now, uh, cumulatively over the years. And, um, and you'll see a whole variety of things. So some people, you know, start in the morning and do what I did, which was let's do conquer mode first. Like, let's kind of get the, the vegetables into the diet right away. And then we can kind of move on to some of the, the parts that maybe the kids find a little more engaging, but as you kind of, you know, put that together, we see people doing all kinds of configurations and in fact, leave it to each micro-school to kind of tailor to the needs of, of their individual community.
1: Uh, Kelly, I, I, hadn't, I just noticed um, you have these empowerment dimensions. They're sort of um, d- design principles on your site. I, I remember seeing those before, but they're a, a beautiful framework. What, what is that? How does that help the learning guides?
0: Yeah. We started, um, I think, one of the principles of design thinking and hopefully, you know, any, anybody really trying to do something in the world is just getting clear at the beginning about what are we trying to accomplish here. Uh, Prenda's mission statement is two words. It is empower learners. We're really talking about that shift that I just alluded to, helping kids go from sort of a passive recipient of school, something that happens to you, you just show up and, you know, kind of maybe go through the, the motions or do the work that's required of you moving from that to a much more active posture. I'm the owner. I'm empowered in the sense that I can go set goals and accomplish what I want and use learning as as the way that happens. So we realized in in setting that as our mission, we needed to know if that was happening. And so what we've recognized, and this is, I will just acknowledge, not perfect. This is stuff social scientists have been looking at for decades. I think it will continue to be a fight and it will be an evolution for us as well, as we learn. But things like Locus of control, like, am I, am I in a position to really influence the outcomes of my life? Um, engagement, we're looking at, we're looking at growth mindset. So these are things that you can actually measure. There are instruments uh, available, really borrowing from psychologists. Uh, this is, you know, what we what we hope for and what we want to see in children. Um, and we literally survey them, ask them, you know, go, go to the kids themselves. It's fascinating to see the comments that a six-year-old might write about Themselves as a learner, these metacognition things and and their their comments about their their micro school environment, Um, again, not done, but it's something we want to continue to look at as we we really try to design for, well, what are we what are we all about? What are we doing here? We measure test scores, too, but in a lot of ways, this is kind of goal number one is empowered learners.
1: Um, We're going to come back to that because that's uh, really the theme of your new book, So, Kelly, are most of these micro schools, um, are they home based? Are they five or six kids? What's the what's the typical and then what's the sort of distribution look like? Yeah, great question. Most micro schools, um, I think our
0: average number is 7.5 students. That number was higher during the pandemic. You had more parents just desperately looking for places to go. Um, ten, ten is the most you know, some are as small as, as two or three, very, you know, very small. Uh, a lot of people actually start with just a mom and her own kid meeting in their house. And then it's a friend or a cousin or something. And it, it kind of expands from there. So you can picture that range. Um, a home is obviously the easiest place to start for most people, but we've seen tons of them now that have really expanded beyond that. Or maybe there wasn't a home space available and, and they went to a, a church, a community center, a dance studio. Uh, some other building that's available and typically places that are empty during the daytime hours. Like if, if it's a place that serves children in an after-school capacity, by definition, you know, they're empty in the day. And and so those places have been a great setting to host a micro school.
1: Uh, Kelly, you, you got started in about 2018? 2018. Right. After um, years of tutoring uh, kids and some frustration with the education of your own kids, right? You have four kids? I have four kids, yep. And this really scaled, particularly during the pandemic in Arizona. You have a couple hundred sites in Arizona now, is that right? Yeah. And are you in other states? We opened
0: um, in a pretty big way in New Hampshire during the the pandemic. Uh, One of the goals we had right off the bat was we wanted this program to be as accessible as we could make it. Um, so it's actually taken us a while to open it up. This is true now that anybody can do it anywhere they are. They can just pay for it, right, out of pocket. But we know that there's a lot of people that wouldn't be able to do that. So we've put a majority of our effort into places where we can work together, whether that's partnering with the district, partnering with the charter school network, part uh, working inside of a school choice program, we don't have um, you know, strong opinions about which one. We just want to make the program available to as many kids as we can. So, um, yes, so New Hampshire, with, with through a, a funding partnership with the Department of Ed, we've worked with charter schools in Colorado, Kansas, Louisiana, and right now we're really looking at um, at Florida as a place with the kind of expanded ESA program, um, Arkansas, Utah, some of these other states that are giving funding directly to parents that, you know, putting aside the politics that just opens up an opportunity for families to use that, that funding to create or co-create, or find the the options that are best for their their child.
1: Do you have a few ESA sites in Arizona now? We do. In fact, we gave
0: all of our learning guides in Arizona the op- opportunity to switch, and something like eighty percent of them uh, made the switch. So uh, we have a lot now of <laughs> of ESA sites. There's still some that prefer to work kind of inside of the the system with the the various structures and things that that brings, um, but a majority. A pretty big majority have uh, have really opted for the ESA path
1: and and all of these schools are uh, k8 right or, or operate within K8 some are elementary, but but you're serving K8 That's right. Um, I, and I know you've had all four of your kids have benefited from uh, the the Prenda model yeah you just said a high school graduate. congratulations. Thank you. and
0: in fact, he was a little older. He was the one with me through all the code club stuff, but by the time I started a micro school, he wasn't yeah I think he technically could have done it but wasn't interested. so he never did a Prenda micro school. The other three did Prenda micro Schools, uh at different you know times in their educational journeys and now he's off, you know I was just he's he's
1: done. Kelly, we've had the chance to um to help communities create um, quite a few micro schools, both elementary and high school. Um, high school is a, a bit of a different animal. Have you thought about that? What, what's different about a about a high school, a micro high school? We
0: we think about it all the time. Our our community is begging. I mean, I I would venture to say there are some moms that are a little bit personally affronted and even like angry with me because. We haven't done it yet. Um, they like Prenda. They find a lot of value in, in the community and, and what we're doing, and they want their child to be able to continue. I will say that overall, the the market condition changes the things that that uh, you know sixteen year old might want out of their education. So you know, bigger pond, more options, more extracurricular, some of those types of things. The social features, uh, those all possible through a micro school world, but you have to really envision that differently, and you know, pool. Micro schools together and try to really deliberately create that larger community uh, and that's not a trivial thing we're still working on K through 8 so I wouldn't say it's forever the other thing that's tricky in high school is just the degree to which the institution has uh, you know some some strictures around it uh, things like a transcript matter a lot more in high school and what does it mean to graduate and to be ready for college and diplomas and degrees and so there's a layer of um, I think parents and every everybody else, regulators are worried about um, you know the formula maybe a little more at those later ages. It starts to feel uh, you know closer to to college and the rest of the track. So we're constantly using this analogy of escalators, right? We're we're telling parents during K through eight, putting your child on an escalator and hoping that they end up at the other end of the escalator. You know that's that's a very passive mode. That's not the right way to think about it. You should be instead seeking an, an active learner posture. Well, that's easier to do at age five, six, seven, where maybe the stakes don't feel as high. But when you start thinking about my high school escalator connected to my college escalator connected to my job escalator, I, I think you can still have a great philosophical discussion about the validity of all of that. But it, you know, for better or worse, that's it's embedded in the kind of consciousness, the, the collective psyche of, of America, and that's how we still think about those types of things.
1: Kelly, the last couple of years have been a roller coaster for all of us, but uh, particularly you. I, you. You showed up, you know, 24 months before the pandemic and exploded during the pandemic. Um, you, you've probably seen your numbers come down a bit um, post-pandemic, but uh, reflections on where you are now and where the Prenda network is uh, sort of post-pandemic?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I remember having conversations in early 2018. Uh, I was seeing things firsthand in my house with kids that had gone from disengaged to engaged, had gone from not feeling confident in their ability to learn. Some of them were grade levels behind and to see them dig in and, and move and, and see the progress. So I had a kind of a firsthand conviction that, that this is going to work. And and I, I was there as a parent too. One of my kids was in my class. So I had seen it through those lenses and I would tell people, I remember having this conversation, you know, there's going to be a day in 10 or 20 years where this is very, very normal and everybody's going to uh, think of micro school. Not that everybody does it, but it'll be micro school is just one valid option among others that uh, works for, for people. And I think it's going to be huge. Right. And I, I was really excited about that. And I would talk to people about it, but I thought 10 or 20 years and then COVID came along and all of a sudden everyone was talking about micro schools. And I was interviewed by the New York times and all these things where it was like, Whoa, that happened much faster than I thought that led to a lot of, you know, craziness, a lot of operational constraint. We had we a lot of growth and that was interesting. And the, the problems were engaging. I think of course, afterwards, the market hadn't really shifted in a permanent way, so we're still not at that kind of ten-year horizon. But it definitely accelerated it forward, and uh, here we are now in the aftermath, kind of settled in, uh, still at a place much larger and bigger than we otherwise would have been, um, and now able to, you know, deliver on it. We've been able to build the the capacity, and then meanwhile, you have a second macro shift in the education world, which is these school choice programs that, you know, I was around six, seven years ago, watching all of this and thinking, well, that would make a difference. But it it, at the time seemed like that would never happen. And now here we are, these, these laws are live, we are actually processing kids through these programs and uh, funding is flowing directly to parents and all these things that I would, would have said even two or three years ago, I would have said no way. Uh, Here we are in the middle of that. And that's another macro shift uh, in the way education is happening. So yes, it's a it's a wild time. Uh, It's a good time to be an entrepreneur. I mean, a lot of what entrepreneurs do is respond to, you know, crazy environments and conditions and uh, look for that opportunity and and continue pushing forward.
1: Speaking of the pandemic, uh, Kelly, it looks like you're doing a little bit of writing during the pandemic. Congratulations on your new book.
0: Thank you, Tom.
1: The the book is called A Fire to be Kindled, uh, How a Generation of Empowered Learners Can Lead Meaningful Lives, and Move Humanity Forward. It's an ambitious title. It's a great um, and inspired book. Um, I love how the title reaches back into your classical education. It's a little bit of Plutarch there. That's right. <laughs> Why are you attracted to that idea of a, a fire to be kindled rather than a vessel to be filled?
0: Yeah, in some ways, I get that it's cliche. And I, you probably have people listening right now kind of moaning and rolling their eyes like this is something that we talk about a lot. I think it's been co-opted and hijacked in a way that the the quote, Um, I take it seriously at face value. I really think what Plutarch was trying to say, and I think he was right, was um, that depending on your mental model, which of those two metaphors you choose in the way you think about things, it's going to lead you to design decisions and approaches that are going to have opposite effects. Um, So an example of this is if you believe that the mind, in fact, is a fire to be kindled. This is, um, you know, I, I invoke this process of starting a fire from scratch. I don't know if you've ever done this, if, you know, your listeners have. I mean, this is, a, it's hard. It takes a lot of time. I was just talking to some 12 year olds that went camping with a, a youth group, and they got back and told me that the fire starting activity took them an hour and a half. You know, you get something going and then it goes out and you're despondent and everything's, not, you know, It's
1: context dependent.
0: Context dependent. It feels very chaotic and unpredictable. When is this going to happen? And, um, you know, lots of there's there's so much art to it. Uh, There's science, too, obviously, like this is physics. But at the same time, it it feels almost. Yeah, it's so. So you understand, like, how crazy that is. And then the moment when that happens, that it's that much more valuable because of all, all of that struggle and all that unpredictability. And you see ignition happen, Like I have fire and I, I talk in the book about Tom Hanks and the movie where he's on the Island by himself and he's just holding fire up in the sky. And it's like so exhilarated. It, it should feel like that every time we see a young person make a decision to learn right in whatever capacity, a question that they're asking extra work that they put in. We, we let kids and Prenda set their goals um, for their, their year. We give them a minimum, like this is what would this is what, if you were just sort of sitting in class and, and school was happening to you, this is where you'd be. But interestingly, almost all of these kids choose goals more aggressive than that. They choose that and they work toward it. And then they struggle because learning's hard, right? So they miss their goals. Nobody hits, I mean, there are people that hit them, but the average comes in less than their goals, but more than what it would have been if we had said it. And it's fascinating to me all the time to see that. What I think is happening is fire kindled, right? They recognize, like, I can be ambitious. I can be audacious. I can set this goal. And then even if I miss it, I still get that exhilaration of like, eventually, right? I didn't get it in the 45 minute class period, but after a period of time, I was able to accomplish this objective and it feels like lighting fire. Meanwhile, you've got this other metaphor, right? So if it's about filling a cup, we like that. First of all, we're as, as humans, as adults, it's predictable. It's easy. You, you just... You know, like I know exactly what's going to happen if I pour water into a cup, I can fill it up. Um, obviously the adult likes it, but it's the wrong metaphor. And, and if, you, if you apply that approach to pouring water, you're not going to be kindling fires, right? And that's ultimately, I, I had so many good people in my life as educators. I think I have family members that are educators. I think everybody's really trying to do the right thing, but so much of it is set up around filling vessels system-wise that you get to this point where it's like, how can you expect fire to be kindled and including me, you know, and I, I invoke my personal story where I did well in school, but never had that, that flame. Uh, you know, I, the goal for me was get good grades with the minimum amount of, of work possible. Yeah. I think that's probably similar to a lot of people.
1: I love how the book um, really takes seriously empowering learners. Um, you know, Kelly, we, we see more and more people talk about, empowerment agency, but most schools are still really about content and uh, consumption compliance. Um, So I love how your book hits this topic of empowerment. um, And it's built around a a set of uh, values that really reinforce empowerment. Um, So I'd love to talk about a few of those. You you kick things off uh, with a great chapter called Dare, uh, dare greatly, why is that a, a value and what, what, what might that look like in the day of a K-8 learner?
0: We do an, an exercise early in the year. Um, it's one of our, our project prompts for the create mode at Prenda, um, but we make this one mandatory. It's okay, we're going to do this. And it's an activity called Future You. Uh, I'm sure this lines up with what a lot of educators are doing. You create some sort of artistic representation of your future self. Um, And then you have a conversation with that representation. So maybe it's a little clay personage or a a painting or something that I've done. And this is me at age, you know, if I'm 12, you know, this is me at age 42, like 30 years down the road. What do I want to, um, what I want to be true about this person? What life do I want them to have? Really thinking about that. The purpose of all that is to help them get into a question, answer the question, why? Right, I think um, we get almost annoyed with kids for asking why. I think what we're trying to say with Dare greatly is it's good. We should have a, a clear answer to that question of why, and the answer to that question is going to look different depending on who you are, uh, depending on what your natural skills and abilities are, where your interests lie, what you see as an opportunity around you, what work you're willing to put in, and you put that all together, uh, and it's just connected, of course, to the motivation research that psychologists have been doing for a long time. But, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm intrinsically motivated, if I'm connected to something that I want, I'm willing to persist and struggle and do all the things that is necessary for learning to really happen, but I won't do it. If it's, you know, I'm here to placate someone else or because the law requires me to be here, that's a very different, um, you know, framing of, of motivation.
1: Um, the second one is great. It's just figure it out. Um, I think that's a, a, the value of, of problem finding, problem solving, and um, not giving kids easy answers when they're stuck with inviting them to figure it out, right? Learning is hard. It's, uh, the next one is learning is hard. Those are they're related. Absolutely connected.
0: Um, I'm always curious to hear how people pronounce, pronounce that value, right? Because there is a way adults can be almost flippant or calloused about it. Like like I don't you know dusting my hands off, I, I have no um, interest in really helping you or caring about you, so figure it out, you know. Um, I mean it in a very different way. It's like because I care so much about you, I have confidence in your ability to go out and be resourceful, scrappy, ask questions, dig in, get get what you need. Um, I don't see myself as the answer to all of your problems. I think if that's true, I'm a crutch for you, right? And and so I need to almost withhold myself, my own natural instinct to swoop in and solve things for you. I need to leave you with with the opportunity to figure something out. So things like and this is really simple. It goes back to the after school coding program that I was doing. Things like talking to a, a friend or a peer. I mean, in, in still far too many cases that's against the rules or that's considered cheating, right? I think the idea should be like, if, if there are ways that I can learn this, I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna take advantage of every opportunity. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do is, is just help kids see themselves as capable problem solvers. And then to your point, the third value, learning over comfort, guess what? You've got millions of years of evolution. You've got biology working against you. You've got culture working against you. There's all these things that are, that are telling you, screaming at you. Don't learn this is uncomfortable, it's hard and just recognizing that and reminding yourself like I want I want the growth that comes from this, and this of course connects to things like growth mindset and other things your li- your listeners are familiar with
1: i This is something I appreciated early on about Actin Academy. I, I don't know if this is one of your takeaways from Acton, but guides at Acton don't give answers they ask good questions yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think credit Sandifers. I credit Socrates before them, right? I mean, I think this has been known for a while, and um, and I think it's yeah, it's incredibly important. And and by the way, really, really hard to do if you have the answers. I learned this by experiment because I had one code club, one of the code clubs that I was supporting, where I couldn't find an expert. I couldn't get a computer programmer to go be the adult in the room, and so I got the librarians to do it. They were women in their sixties that had never. Coded before they—they they told me they have trouble with email, and what happened was mm-hmm. those women did a much much better job facilitating Code Club than this, the professional software developers. The reason, one of the reasons, is that if you know, then you tell, right? And those those software developers gave these boring lectures, or they would sort of like lose all the kids in in this like glazed over thing. And I've been there, I've done that. Meanwhile, these ladies, that wasn't available to them. And so all they could do was ask questions and engage as learners themselves. It was incredibly compelling. And the kids came and came again and brought their friends and real learning outcomes came from that group in a way that surpassed the code clubs with experts sitting there.
1: Kelly, the, the code club, um, idea brings up a related point for me that, that particularly in, in, in middle grades and moving into high school, um, as the world gets more and more complex, it feels more and more important than ever to invite kids into complex problems, problems that don't have answers, answers that we don't know. So we're, we're not just keeping the answers from kids. It's like, I don't know the answer to that, but how, how might we figure it out together? And I I sense that in your, in your book, that spirit of inviting kids into um, complicated problems with that spirit of how might we, that design mindset,
0: I guess what what I'll say to that just briefly is um, I'm long on humans. I really do believe what's on the subtitle of this book that they can live meaningful lives and move our species forward. I think there are problems that we as adults have bungled and haven't done a great job with. Um, And I mean it when I ask them questions, right? Like I, I don't have a good answer to this. This is what these people say. This is what these people say. Let's practice going and like checking sources and trying to make sure things are valid, but well, end of the day, let's, let's write a good question, right? How can we articulate what the question even is? Uh, And just being that level of curious, it's one terrifying because it's much, much safer. This is again, back to fires versus filling a cup. It's much safer and more predictable to just be like, I know the standards. These are the elements of the lesson plan. I will cover them in order (laughs) as I Communicate in a one-directional way to my kids, but the other way can light a fire, and and that's uh, it's so incredibly empowering for somebody that's trying to learn to actually realize. I've had kids do this double take, like he doesn't really know, you know, and I'm like, exactly. That's that's what that's the point, right? This is, um, I think it was Steve Jobs that kind of talks about this in a commencement address where he just says, you know, look look at the world around you. People built that, and you can build that too. You just have to think about it differently.
1: Who's who is this book for, Kelly? Is this for Prenda families and prospective Prenda families?
0: I started writing it for, for educators. I, I think I I had people, you know, involved in the work of, of serving kids and helping them become learners. Um, but it's interesting how a book can take on a life of its own. I mean, I got to this point where I had two sections and one of them was much more practical, probably had Piaget in there and there was like Montessori references and things. And then the, the first half of the book was what ended up being the book. Like my editor cut it in half and said, you've written two books. This first part of the book is really for anyone. It's for somebody who wants to ask this question of like, am I getting these outcomes? Am I moving humanity forward? Am I living a, a meaningful life in the way I define it? Whatever that looks like for me. Uh, I think you could get benefit from this at age 80. I have stories in there of people... You know, in their 60s, taking on new habits and, and learning things. And I think it's valuable for young, young children. Um, but these principles, I believe, are universal. And then as we get some alignment around this, and I think this does extend beyond Prenda's community, hopefully to people in classrooms, people in music studios, people everywhere, as we get the, that sense of like, what are we really doing with learning? Like, what is that? It's an elevated conversation. I think it opens up some pretty exciting possibilities in the educational world.
1: Well, it's a great book, Kelly. And, um, I, I said at the outset, I, I, I love intentional models, models that are elegant, simple at the, at the apex, simple enough for a learner to understand and step into a model and sort of understand the rules of the game and take them on as their, uh, as their own, but deep enough to reflect, a really rich set of agreements, and for me, the book is this beautiful um, illustration, illumination of the Prenda model and mindset. And so, it it's certainly a gift to your your families, but it, as you hoped, I think it's a gift to the sector. A a, a beautiful modern view of what education can and should be
0: modern and, and 2000 years old at the same time. I, I appreciate it. And
1: yeah, no, it, it is. I, but I, I do think it's, uh, it's a fresh view of learner centered education. Um, I, I appreciate the, the next couple chapters talk about start with heart and a foundation of trust. So you really do talk about the basics of how important relationships are in a learning journey.
0: Well, I appreciate that it means a lot coming from you, Tom, as somebody who I've looked up to for a long time as a leader in this space. And um, I'm, I'm glad I, ho- I hope the book is useful to people and, and that it opens up, maybe opens some questions that uh, I or you don't have the answers to and, and raises some interesting conversations.
1: What's what's, uh, what's next for Prenda? Do you have any new features, new regions that you can tell us about?
0: A lot of uh, effort on the, these new states that have passed uh, universal or expanded um, ESA programs. So expect to see us in Florida and other places like that. Um, and then we continue to just evolve and, and expand the the learning model, the curriculum library that's in there. We want to make sure that this is providing all the tools that somebody that maybe isn't an educator like I wasn't in 2018, uh, for them to be able to step up and have a life-changing impact in the life of young people.
1: Kelly, as we, we close, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the big takeaway here for our listeners. I think it's empowered learners. Is that the Prenda at the core of Prenda and at the, at the core of this book?
0: I would say, yeah, I think your, your listeners might be tempted to think of that in terms of someone small or young. I would say um, with humility, Like, what does that mean for you? Being an empowered learner yourself, and I think the world gets better every time that happens.
1: Who would you like to uh, acknowledge? Who, who helped you um, get Prenda and or this book to the finish line? Anybody a, a real inspiration in the last five years on this journey?
0: I I don't know if I could even give names. I mean, there are so many people. As as you know, these um, yeah, this work is. It's big and it's complicated and it's messy and there's times where, uh, you know, where things feel discouraging. Uh, I've had, I've been lucky enough to have mentors at at every turn, people I can go to with questions, and to have uh, just unending support from family and loved ones. So really grateful for them and and for that as well. And then of course everybody who's come along, the thousands of people who have come along on the Prenda journey so far, and the you know tens of thousands that are yet to come. Um, it's it's an honor to work with these people and, and try to serve them and help them any way I can. Uh,
1: where can people learn more about Prenda? Prenda.com, easiest way. Prenda.com. And uh, check out Kelly's new book, A Fire to be Kindled. You can get it on Amazon and read it on your Kindle. There you go. Uh, or <laughs> at your favorite uh, independent bookstore. Absolutely. Kelly, thanks for your contribution to, uh, to the micro school movement, to education. Thanks for a fire to be kindled. It's great to reconnect with you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate the chance. Thank you to Mason Pasha, our producer, and the whole uh, Getting Smart team for making this possible. And until next week, keep learning, keep leading, keep innovating for equity.
0: Thanks for tuning into the Getting Smart podcast today.